The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Happy Father's Day. So today is Father's Day. I got confused last Sunday. So before we get into the message, I want to share some things with the fathers. My father shared them with me. You know, when Jesus... In his earthly ministry, walked around this earth for three, three and a half years. One of the things you find him do is he always disappeared somewhere and he went to pray. He went to pray. So God, the Son, Son of God, needed to pray. So fathers, you are the pastors of your homes. You are the priests of your families. And I want to encourage you to spend more time in prayer. Spend more time in prayer, pray for your children, pray with your children, teach them how to pray, and even if they're old, it's okay, start praying. Because the devil is never far off if you're too busy to pray. And prayer is the glue or the mortar that holds the family together. It is. And remember, in our walk with God, we've got to make it a practice to talk to God. And if you want your children to reach out to the Father God, they need to see God in their Father. And one of the most important things you can pass on to your children is not your inheritance or even your good name. It's a spiritual heritage. Spiritual heritage. You know, in the book of Third John uh, uh, 1-4 says, I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in the truth. And we all know this verse from Proverbs where it says, train up a child, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, right? But you got to remember, train up a child and teach him, but also go that way yourself, right? Lead by example. And the second most important thing I want to give you is just as important as the first is that you can do for your kids is love their mother. Love their mother as Christ loved the church. And I want to hear these words when I stand in front of God. It's written in Isaiah 8, 18, says, here I am. And the children whom the Lord given me. Children are the only inheritance or the only possessions you can take to heaven. So pray for them. Be a godly example. You are the pastor. You are the priest of your family. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful day that you're given us to gather around your word, word with brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we continue our journey through the book of James, uh, we come to this passage which is considered one of the most controversial passages in, in Scripture, and I ask that you give me wisdom to explain it properly, and I ask that everybody in this room prepares their hearts and ears to listen to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, when I first came to Christ and I started studying Scripture, reading the Bible, there were some words that Jesus said kind of were for difficult for me to understand, or they were difficult for me to kind of swallow, And these words were, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? You know, I'm thinking about all these megachurches, all these different denominations, all these Christians that I know of, and he says, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? And really, the answer to that question I finally found was in John 2.23. It's not up here, but you can write it down. This is where... Many believed in his name when they saw all the signs and wonders, all the miracles that they were doing. But then it says Jesus didn't believe in them. They believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe in men. Why? Because he knew what was in men. He didn't need to tell them. He didn't need to know. And what was in them was this thing called dead faith. That's what James calls it. So many Christians today are deceived and think they have real faith when really they possess a demonic faith. And we'll see that, what I mean by that. They believe the same way the demons do. Now, before we get into our study, I want to touch on a point and explain it. And I'm going to be a little redundant today, so pardon me. But the reason for that is this passage in the book of James that we're going to cover today is the most controversial passage and most misunderstood passage in the book of James. There are those who use this passage to prove to you that you have to work your way to heaven. 
And it's important that you get what I'm saying today because when those guys come to your door, you, you know, the Bible says always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks the reason for your hope that is in you to answer because the entire New Testament teaches we are saved by faith alone. Now, entire Christian life is summed up in grace. But the devil doesn't want you to know that. The devil doesn't want you to believe that. The devil wants to try to mix together grace and works and try to mix them, and if you mix them, it's not grace at all. In Romans eleven six, 6, it says this, And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What that means, it's like oil and water. They don't mix together. Now, I heard some people explain it when uh, uh, faith is like uh, trying to... Cross a stream on a canoe, you know. One oar is uh, works, the other oar is faith. So if you just have works, you kind of go spin this way. If you have just faith, you kind of spin this way. But if you spin them together, you're going to miss, you go across the stream. Well, that's a wonderful illustration, but it has one major flaw in it. You're not going to heaven on a canoe. You're going to heaven by the grace of God. Now, having said that, we run into a problem. The problem is here in the book of James. Turn with me to the book of James. We're going to study from chapter 2, and we're going to cover verses 14 through 26 today. And it says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does that profit? Thus so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that the faith was working together with his works, and by works the faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that the man is justified by works, not just faith, not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them another way? For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, a careless reading of the scripture made it indicate that a person is saved by grace and works. And it will seem the Bible always contradicts itself. Because if you look at Romans 4... In the first six verses, this is what Paul said about Abraham. He said, what shall we say that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to, whom, uh, but to him who does not work but believes on him, it justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So you see that seems like a little contradiction. But I want to say with all the unction, function, emotion, without stutter, without stammer, without apology, anything I can muster. You are saved by grace and by grace alone. And grace is exclusively a Christian doctrine. We have a monopoly on grace. Exclusively a Christian doctrine. You cannot save yourself. Uh, little works, a lot of works, they don't save. They don't help to save. Now, what's the riddle to this enigma or this contradiction? Well, first I want to tell you the Bible never contradicts itself. It does not. Sometimes men may see that they're in an argument, but really they're describing things from a different point of view. 
Paul and James are talking about heads and tails of the same thing. Now, many times people don't understand what this is about. So I'm going to try to explain it with my God-given ability. Paul is talking about the faith before God. James is talking about faith before men. Paul is talking about no-so faith. James is talking about show-so faith. James is speaking faith before men. James is not contradicting Paul. And we already saw this. If you look at James 1.18, this is what James said. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith with, without your works, uh, and I will show you my faith by my works. And 2.18, I'm sorry. You see where he's saying? He's saying, show me. Show me. Paul and James are not standing face to face in a confrontation of standing in, uh, they're actually standing back to back fighting two different enemies. Paul is fighting those who want salvation by works. James is fighting those who want salvation that doesn't demand anything. Paul is salvation, Paul's salvation is by grace. James saying salvation only by grace produces works. There's no debate here. There's no argument. It's not a face of disagreement. They're fighting against different attackers. Paul is defending against the legalistic salvation, and James is defending libertine approach, where it says, hey, all you have to do is believe, have no change in your life whatsoever, continue to sin, and you'll be saved. And he's saying that's not true. And in James 1.18, it says this, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be kinds of fruits of his creation, creatures. So this is James. In other words, he presents a sovereign salvation by grace. God saved us through the word of truth. So James is confirming or affirms salvation by grace. But Paul speaks the root of the salvation. James is speaking with the fruit of the salvation. Now the root is beneath the ground. Right? Can't see it. The fruit is above ground. Only God can see the root. We can only see the fruit. Somebody said faith is like calories. You can't really see them, but you can see their results. Right? So Paul speaks of the foundation of our faith. James speaks the building that sits on top of that foundation. Paul's speaking inward. James speaking outward. Paul is speaking the provisions of our salvation. James is speaking the proof of our salvation. Paul is talking about the means of our salvation. James is talking about the marks of our salvation. You are saved by faith alone, but folks, that faith is never alone. That faith is never alone. You're not saved by faith and works, but you are saved by faith that works. So what James is saying is basically, don't come around here if you say, oh, I believe. And your words don't back up your actions. That's what James is saying. If you grab into a... I was watching Pets 2. If you grab a 220-volt wire, you're going to know it, right? Now, how can somebody as big as God come into your life and you say, hey, he entered my life, and not be changed? You're going to be changed. And James is saying flat out, if it doesn't change you, there's a question whenever he's even really in your life to begin with. That's what James is talking about here. It's dead faith. So let's look, take apart this dead faith and take a look at it. First of all, I want to look at that the dead faith is profitless. It brings a profitless profession. In James 2.14 it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? The answer is no, but if someone says, in other words, James doesn't say the man has the real thing. He's just saying he does. You see, everything people say is not necessarily so. Just saying doesn't make it so. You can say, oh, I'm trusting in the Lord. Well, are you really? He's my Savior and Lord. Well, is he really? Just because you say something doesn't mean that you are. If someone has faith but does not have works, can, say faith, can that faith save him? Can't do you any good. 
You can't just have vocabulary. There must be a vocation to back it up. You must have works to back it up. And we already talked about dead religion. It's profitless. It's profitless. You know, Abraham Lincoln told one boy, a little boy said, if a dog had four legs and he called his tail a leg, how many legs does he have? And the little boy said five. He said, no, four. It doesn't matter what you call the tail. It's still a tail. So it doesn't matter what you call your faith. If it's not real, it's not real. It's possible to have profession without possession. And folks, repeating words, you know, repeating scripture from the Bible. You know, sometimes people say, repeat this prayer after me and you'll be saved. Repeating those words, that will never save you. Repeating words never saves a soul. Rattling off a little prayer will not save you. Words without works are worthless. Now, he's not saying faith can't save you, but he's saying that does not produce the changed life, that faith is dead. There's a story in the woods of Siberia. Little villages, churches started popping up, and it was not good for the devil. And the devil remembered that there was an old witch in the woods that owed him a favor. So he went and took a couple of demons to visit the old witch to see how she could help take down these churches and convince and persuade people that God is non-existent. So the demons suggested, how about you help us just pursue that God does not exist? She said, no, they won't fall for that. I mean, you guys even believe in God. So the other ones suggested that, you know, Maybe persuade them that after death there's nothing, there's no eternity. So they went on and on and on, and finally the witch said, I got it. There's two things that we're going to do. One of them is we're going to teach them that everyone can interpret the Scripture any way they want. What it means to me, not what the Bible actually means. And second, we will teach them they can believe in God. We will teach them that there is a God. There is a heaven. But all they have to do is just say they believe in God and continue living in sin like they do. And my friends, the devil continues to use this method today. Churches are full of baptized pagans. They are. They continue to live in sin. But profession without possession, it's empty, it's dead. Second, he thinks, he says here, it's fruitless. Look with me in James 2, 15 through 19. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things they are, which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Does also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You know, some people don't have more faith than the devil himself. It comes as a surprise to some people that demons have faith. They do. Every time they met Christ in his earthly ministry, what do they do? They bore witness to his sonship. The devil is more orthodox than some preachers I know. He really is. He has more religions than some Christians. The devil has certain intellectual faith. Certain beliefs concerning the gospel. Let's just say, I want to I take a look at some of these, what they really believe. What the demons say about Jesus. So if you turn with me to Matthew 8, verses 28, 29 says this. When he had come to the other side, Jesus, the country of Genesis, there met him a two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cry out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? How, how do they know who this man was? How do they know this is a son of God? Jesus. Turn to the book of Mark. First chapter of Mark 23, 24. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mark 3.11, And certain unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Not only in Mark, Matthew, but look at Luke. Luke uh, 18, I'm sorry, Luke 8 and verse 27 through 32. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. He lived in a graveyard. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you? See, all of them just saying, What we have to do with you? Like, you Jesus, Son of the Most High, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had once seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked them, saying, what is your name? He said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there in the mountain. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. So look at this. This is demons, legions, right? And they're begging, begging him, command us to do this. They know who he is. They obey his word. They believe in Jesus. Command us to do this. Why didn't they say, Jesus, there's only one of you. I'm a legion. Oh, no. They realize who the Son of God is. And Luke 4.41 says, And the demons also came out of many, crying and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. That's pretty orthodox, isn't it? Isn't that? That's exactly what James is saying. See, it sounds like the demons would get an A-plus in seminary in systematic theology. They, they know who Jesus is. You see, the devil is very orthodox in many, many ways. You see, if the devil was, if he comes and joins Grace Fellowship, now let's just say, play along here, the devil never comes at the devil, so let's call him Mr. Diablo. Mr. Diablo comes and says, I want to join Grace Fellowship. You say, okay. We have a couple of questions. Let's meet with the deacons. Do you believe Jesus was born a virgin? Absolutely. Do you believe that he was a son of God? Absolutely. Do you believe that he's the Messiah? Absolutely. Do you believe that he's the Holy One who died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe he was raised from the dead? Well, I was there. Will you work in the church? Would you volunteer? Oh, I'll be glad to. I'll be a deacon if you let me. I'll preach if you want me to. See, the devil comes and transforms as a minister of righteousness. And then we say, well, Mr. Diablo, you sound like a great candidate to be a member of our church. But let me ask you one last question, just one more question, before we put our stamp of approval on you. Will you submit to Jesus Christ as King and Lord of Lords? No, I will not. And he never will, and he never has. What does that tell us? You can have profession without Possession. Is that not correct? You can know the facts about the gospel. The Bible says here in book James, the demons believe and tremble. In some translations it says to shudder. The word really means to stand up. It literally means the hair on your back stands up. The devils tremble. But friend, real faith doesn't cause you to tremble. It does not. It just does the opposite. Look at Romans 5.1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no trembling in real faith. And my dear friend, I want to tell you, if you're going to heaven, if you think you're going to heaven by, because of your orthodox beliefs, if you know the plan of salvation, I want to tell you something. You're not going to heaven by a plan of salvation. You're going to heaven by a man of salvation. And his name is Jesus. And all that stuff... Demons believe. So what's wrong with the, with the dead faith? It's profitless. It's fruitless. 
And churches are filled with people gone through this little routine exercise. And they think because they have profession, they have possession. But they never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. Churches are so anxious about getting church members. We accept the slightest profession. And as a result, how powerful are our churches today? Tons of mega churches. How powerful are we? Are we making a difference in the world? Is our faith making a difference? But friends, this is nothing new. The devil's been using the same tactic for ages. If you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8, it talks about Philip, and he went to Samaria. Let's call it gospel or evangelism explosion or whatever you want to call it. There's a revival going on in the book of Acts, and I'll start reading in chapter uh, 8. And verse 9, and it says this. But there was a certain man called Simon who was previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. So previously this guy used magic, sorcery, to bewitch the people of Samaria. And they were all giving him heed because they thought he was somebody great. And then comes along... Philip. And Philip starts preaching in the things of kingdom of God. And people start believing him. They were baptized, both men and women. Philip now was the first class, first rate revival in Samaria. People were coming to Christ. And look at this in verse 18. I'm sorry, in verse 13. In Acts 8, 13 says, Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Did you get that? Believed, baptized, continued with, amazed, miracles, signs. But continuing in verse 15 through 21. In verse 15 it says, Who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit. And then and when Simon saw that through the laying of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Saying, give me this power also. That anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money will perish you. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right inside of God. He believed, he was baptized, he continued. He was amazed and then he was damned. He was damned. You have no part of this. Your money will perish you. And then what does he tell him? In verse 22, 23, it says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. What's that first word in verse 22? Repent. Well, he was believed. He was baptized. He continued. You're bound by sin. It's possible to believe. It's possible to be baptized. It's possible to continue in your faith and still have dead faith. And what Simon's came out of his evidence was not a born-again heart. He had intellectual understanding. Sometimes people join the church because they just want to be part of the club. You know, he was the man. All of a sudden, Philip comes. Now people like him, so you know what? I'm going to join him. He didn't really believe. He probably thought that what Philip was doing was something more powerful, more powerful magic. And you know, some people are going to miss heaven by 20 inches. I said this before. Depends on how big your head is, of course. But you don't get it from up here to go down here. You're going to miss it. Just having it up here doesn't do you any good. So James gives us another test if you have empty faith. 
if your faith is just a profession, and he brings up the poor again. We talked about the poor last Sunday and the position of the poor. Most Christians during that time were poor. We also know that food and clothing are the basic needs of every human, whenever you're saved or not. So plainly, again, gives us a test in verse 15 of James. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now let's suppose a brother or sister goes bankrupt. I'm just going to make up stories and We'll choose a name, Bob. And Bob comes to your house, dressed in rags. He's cold. Knocks on your door. You don't even bother getting up. You're like, go away. I'm not expecting anybody. Go away. Bob says, hey, don't you remember me? I used to attend Grace. We used to serve the Lord together. And you're like, oh. So you come out on the porch. And you say, oh, Bob, bless your little heart. You meet him in the porch. He tells him of your situation. And you say, well, bless you, Bob. Let me go get my Bible. We'll pray together. So you go get your Bible. You come out. And you read him a verse. And you say, in Matthew 21, 22, Bob, it says this. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believe in you will receive. So let's have a little prayer. So you pray. Then you say, hey, Bob, let me give you another verse. Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all the need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And look, remember Matthew 6.31-32, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. And maybe you say, hey, maybe you need to make a vow with God. Remember uh, Jacob in Genesis 28.20? Saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, he'll give me bread and to eat and clothing to put on. Bob, look at how wonderful the Bible is. God bless you. Go away now. You didn't give him anything to eat. You didn't give him anything to wear. What good is your faith? What good did it do, Bob? What good did it do you? Bob didn't need a Bible study. Bob needed a refrigerator with some food in it. Bob needed some clothes to wear. So what James is saying is these little professions, these words, reciting maybe even creeds and some dominations, they're never going to save your soul. You see, faith, empty faith is like a car without gas. It's not going to get you anywhere. Where are you going to go? doesn't matter if you have a Lamborghini or a Pinto. Got no gas? It's worthless. A Christian who claims the promises of God should also obey the commands of God. And we talked about it when we read James 2.8. What does James 2.8 say? It says, if you really fulfilled the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. We talked about it, why it was the royal law. I came across this comic and says, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? I'll say he does. Maybe we better go over and comfort him. Be a good cheer, Snoopy. Yes, be of good cheer. And then they leave. Where do you think Charles Schultz got the idea for this comment? From this verse. It's more, our faith is just more than words. It's more than just feelings. Faith is more than just sympathy, feeling, emotion. It gets assistance. It, gets something, it does something about it. You act on it. And friends, when you become a part of God's family, you have some family responsibilities. A real believer will take care of other believers. And it's going to change the way you act towards other people. It's going to give you compassion. Real faith will give you love for other people. Biblical love is not simply emotion or it's sacrificial sacrifice. Sacrificial service. Love always does something. We all know we're uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 17, talks about what love is. You can look it up. Every single word of it is a verb. 
It does something. But not only it's profitless and fruitless, it's lifeless. It's lifeless. In verses 20 to 26, we read this. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and works with faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that when the man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? When she received the messengers and sent them another way. For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So James is saying that kind of faith is dead, does not save, does not produce. It's dead. The man in this kind of faith is still dead in his trespasses. He's still living in sin. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone, friends. We are not saved by faith and works, but we are saved by faith that works. It's not plus works, but faith that works. You're saved by faith that transformational. James is not saying that works save, but salvation produces works. And let me read Ephesians 2 through 8 through 10. I'll always read this. But I want to read it again, because if you get these verses correct, you will not go astray. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some translations say, unto good works. You see, a person that really believes what you really believe you live by. The rest is just religious talk. And James is saying, don't come around here telling me that you're saved. When you're ignoring the poor, there's no evidence, there's no fruit in your life of this true saving faith. So he talks about productive faith and compares it with unproductive faith. Godly faith with a kind that's just exercised by even the demons. They have this intellectual, intellectual knowledge. And he gives us an illustrations of living faith. The first one is Abraham. The second is Rahab. He says in verses 23, 24, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, not of faith only. Now, wait a minute. How did Abraham show his faith? We'll look in verse 21, James 2.21. Was not Abraham father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, to the altar? Now, this is really important. Otherwise, we're going to have a contradiction. James says that Abraham was justified when he offered Isaac. Do you see that in verse 21? Well, when did Abraham really believe God? In Genesis 15.6, it says this. And he believed in the Lord... And he accounted it to him for righteousness. So 30 years later plus, he offers Isaac. Genesis says he was justified all the way back here. Is that a contradiction? No. All James is showing is that him offering Isaac is really what happened in Genesis 15, 6. It was a true saving faith that came to fruit. None of us could see the faith of Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. If you read it, can you, can you, can you see it? When he says, I believe God and he counted it from righteousness. I can't really see it. He believed, he said so. But when he offered up Isaac on the altar, I can surely see his faith. He's doing something God, he probably thought, never asked him to do that. He never thought that he's going to ask me to sacrifice my son. But what caused him to raise a knife and to almost sacrifice his son? Faith. He believed God that he will resurrect him or do something else. Of course, Abraham never had to sacrifice his son because God provided a, a substitute. It was a mark of Abraham's salvation. 
It wasn't the root. It was the demonstration of his salvation. And Abraham wasn't saved when he offered up Isaac. He was saved 30 years plus prior. And then in James 22, 22 says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works his faith made perfect? It's not perfect. You study the life of Abraham, he stumbled. So this perfect means mature. It was alive. It produces godly fruit for what she was designed to do, which we read in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham's obedience proved that he was already saved. His faith and actions were working together. And then he gives us his example of Rahab. And Brother Mike, a while back, talked about Rahab. And look what it says in verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messages and sent them another way? This comes from Joshua too. She was a streetwalker. She was an enemy of God. She became a saint. How? You know, when you really study that scripture, and when you really realize the small amount of information Rahab had to demonstrate her faith. Today, we have the full revelation of God. We live on the other side of Calvary. We have everything. She didn't have everything. But it was her faith. And it's amazing to me. I, I think it's an indictment against unbelieving sinners today how little she had. And what just saying? This woman had a life that was transformed. Talk is cheap. But Rahab was not saved because she cleaned up her life. She cleaned up her life, just the opposite. She cleaned up her life because she was saved. Salvation takes a good man, makes him better. Takes a bad man, makes him good. There's always a change. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Friends, our faith is not determined by what we do. But it is demonstrated by what we do. In both cases of Abraham and Rahab, they vindicated their claims to believe in God by their conduct of their lives. And then he gives this illustration that says, body without works is dead. In verse 26, whereas the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So you can take all your beliefs. You say, I believe this, I believe that, I believe that. Compile them all together. And you have what we call a body of truth. But there's no life in that body. Without the Spirit. If there's a body of truth, it can't move without the Spirit. The body is just the illustration of your belief. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, then you have no life. What good is a corpse without a Spirit? If we had a corpse, a dead person up here, what would it have to have to get up and walk? life. I could fling his arms or her arms or whatever and just manipulate it. But I'm just manipulating dead corpse. I want to ask you a question. Why am I alive? Am I alive because I'm walking up here on stage? No. I'm walking on the stage because I am alive. Before he can work, he's got to have life. Doesn't mean that, what does it mean spiritually? In order to be saved, you have to have life. You have to be born again. He's saying that work of the human body does not give it life. The work that a human body does reveals life. So just like it's not by the things that we do, but we demonstrate our faith by the things that we do. Words without profession, profession without possession, saved by faith and worse, all that is just garbage. You're saved by faith that works, not just by simply professing words. And listen carefully. I, want, I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The road has two ditches, right? The devil doesn't care if he crashes your car on this ditch 
or that ditch. One ditch says, it's all works. You have to work to be saved. They think they can work their way to heaven and somehow, you know, it's like Santa Claus checking out all these little check marks and when you get to heaven, you hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. There's the other ditch just as dangerous. Those who say, well, since I have saved by faith in Jesus Christ, I have intellectual faith. I believe that he existed. He died on the cross. And I just accept that intellectually, but I never bow the knee to Lord Jesus Christ. They never trusted him as their personal Lord and Savior. And a lot of people accept this cheap grace. They teach easy believism. Just, just believe. Give them mental acceptance. Say little propositions. You're saved. Doesn't matter how you live. Just pray a prayer. No change in life. Makes no difference how you live. That is fraud. The Bible does not teach that. In 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are His, that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So how can you tell me? You can go ahead and just willingly and just have no change. Titus 2.7, it says, All things showing yourselves to be a pattern of good words and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. So over those we have, you have to work to heaven. They'll never do it. Over here we have those who never received Jesus Christ. Says you don't have to do anything. They don't have a no-so salvation. They're what Titus says in 1.16. It says they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Now that's not, that answers my question. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? And this is why he said, not everyone who says to me in Matthew 7, 21, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Real salvation is by grace through faith unto good works. How many of you today can say, I have real faith. I don't have a mere profession. I know Christ is in me. There's been a transformation that took place in my life. People at work, people in my family can see this change. I can see the change. Some people may not agree with it. It may irritate them. But there's been a change in my life. I mean, you can say that I don't have dead religion that we talked about. I have true religion, pure religion that's transformational. So what does this all mean? It means you can just trust Jesus like a little child. Come to him to be saved this morning. You'll ever be just saying internal yes to Jesus. There's only one way to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But just like James saying, let me tell you one thing. If there's no fruit of real faith on that last day, the only thing you have to lean on is the card you signed or a membership card or a prayer that you prayed or some kind of religious ritual that you participated. That's the only thing you lean on. You clearly never really had faith at all. You'll miss eternal life. You'll miss it. And folks, I do not desire to be a hellfire or damnation preacher but I don't desire to be, lead people to be deceived. Any claim to faith without result of fruit is like a dead corpse. Faith without works is dead as a doornail, friends. And we need to be honest and ask yourself, what's the difference my faith is making? What is, what is my faith making? What, what difference is it making? That's why we always, when we do communion, we read this text in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourself as to whenever you're in faith, test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed are disqualified? You see, devil, devil is a great deceiver. He manipulates things. His devices is imitation. And he convinced a person to have counterfeit faith as true faith. He has that person in power. 
But some questions, do I truly understand the gospel? You can ask yourself. Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself or by works? Do I sincerely repent of my sins? Or do I have some secret sins that I like to enjoy and I kind of keep it separated? God, you can have this part of my life, but you know what? I'm, I'm just enjoying this sin right here. I'm going to continue in it. Nobody has to know about it. Is there secret sins in your life? Do you have a desire in you to share Christ with other people? Do you enjoy fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? And most importantly, am I ready for the Lord's return? Or are you going to be ashamed when He comes? Taking spiritual inventory of our lives can assist as a person determine his true standing before God. And my prayer is that your prayer also would be, as we find these words in Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Why is it important that our faith must have action? Why is it important? So people can look at you and say, oh, look at those awesome Christians. They're so kind. No, that's not why. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. No. Glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify your Father in heaven. I'm not doing this to be saved. I'm doing this because I am saved. That's what you need. That should be your message. Hopes. How good is our faith? What are we relying on? Is it just mere profession? Or do we have possession? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your time this morning. Drive these things deep into our hearts, Father. We do not desire to add anything to your word, nor take anything away. But help us realize that we're not talking about some kind of pre-salvation work. We're saying that where there's real salvation takes place, there's a change of a life that produces repentance, confession of sin in the heart for obedience and love to you. And help us examine our own hearts, our own faith, and see if our faith is dead and producing nothing, or if it's living. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.